So I just want to say again how good it is to be with you. So thankful for the invitation to come and to speak with you. Hope you'll have your Bibles open. We'll be turning to several passages. Several will be up on the screen. <clears throat> what we want to talk about this morning is hindrances to our spiritual growth. At Rock Church, we have a Wednesday night series every year, and this year we did ours on spiritual growth. Brother Gwen came and did one of our lessons for us, and thankful for that. One of the things we decided to talk about going forth from that was to continue the discussion of spiritual growth. And so one of the lessons we did are hindrances to our spiritual growth. Sometimes we wonder, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and just why aren't we growing? That may be numerically, that may be in our own faith, it may be in the strength we have, it may be in our commitment or in our service. Why don't I understand more? And so there's things that sometimes bog us down and we wonder, why am I just not growing the way I think I should be? And so what we want to talk about is some examples of hindrances to spiritual growth. What I want to do is I want to compare seven different items to gardening. So if you're familiar with gardening or farming, some of this you might even correct me on. I love to plant flowers, but my dad always weed-eated them because he didn't care to go in between. So I finally gave up after a while. Uh, now that I live in Dixon, I probably will start that again at some point. Just haven't yet. But one of the issues you have with growing is sometimes plants, certain plants don't need a lot of sunlight, but a lot of them do. And if you plant them in a shady place where there's not a lot of sunlight, they're not going to be able to grow. And they become, they droop. And they decay. And they even die. And they start to look like these plants here where they become dried up. And they are decaying and they're dying away. Well, I want to make a comparable point to that in being kept away from the light. When we're talking about our spiritual growth, one of the hindrances we might have is being kept away from the light. In, first, in John, excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. In 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all question we have is, how can a plant thrive without the light? How can a plant thrive without the heat and the sunlight? Similarly, how can a Christian live without Christ or without God? How can we expect that to correlate? I want to be the most faithful Christian I can be, but then I put myself away from God. And I put myself into situations where I spend less and less time with Him, less and less time with His Word, and I keep myself away from the light. How can I expect myself to thrive and to grow? Psalmist writes in Psalm 119 in verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In verse 11, he says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word of God has great blessings. The word of God has great power in it. It is the light that allows us to walk. It is the light that allows us to see our path. It is the light that's shown by God as being the true light. And so if I keep myself away from it, then I'm not going to grow. If I keep myself involved in so many secular activities to where I don't have the time to spend with God, then I'm not going to grow. See, keeping away from the light is not simply just saying that I'm gone from God it's I've put so much into my life, I've allowed so many other things to cloud it up that the only spot left is away from God. There's no spot left in the sunlight. 
There's no spot left for God. That's a problem we have. Growth is dependent upon a light source. A plant won't grow without light. The Word is the direct link we have to the light of God. That's the direct link we have to God. So without it, we do not experience any of that light and that we might grow. But not only is there the danger of not enough sunlight when you're planting, you have to be careful about the soil you use. You have to make sure you put it in the proper soil that will allow the roots to grow and to sprout and that the plant might come up. Because if you use the wrong soil, you're not going to get anything. It's not going to grow. It's not going to be deep. It's not going to sustain. So you've got to be careful. Each plant has a different type of soil that's needed. Some soils work better, some plants work better in one soil while others work better in another. If it's rocky, the plant's not going to give root. If it's thorny, it's going to be choked out. Just as we read, our brother read for us in Matthew chapter 13. Can we suggest then, knowing the parable of the sower, that the soil would be our attitude? Sometimes it's our own attitude that keeps us from growing because we've not conditioned the soul properly. Again, that parable of the sower in chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. You have all these different soils. You have the good ground, you have the wayside, you have the rocky, and you have the thorny. And what all of that is is people's hearts, as it goes on to describe down in verses 18 through 23. And it's each individual's heart's reaction to the Word of God. And so we have to watch the soil that we use. We have to watch our attitude because the wrong soil will yield an unfruitful, withering plant. The improper soil has to be gone. We have to have that proper soil mixture. We have to have our attitude conditioned in the proper way. Now I want to suggest a few things about our proper attitude. How can I have the proper attitude in order that I might grow? Let me first suggest towards God and His Word. Sometimes our attitude is simply wrong in regards to God and in regards to His Word. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We have to make sure that what I've done in my life is that I understand who God is, I understand what His Word is. We're going to talk more about that this afternoon. This afternoon we're going to talk about I believe, and I believe in the words of the Bible and Jesus Christ and that He's coming again. Those three points we're going to make. But I have to do that. I have to believe that in order that I might have the right attitude towards God. I have to believe in His Word and who He is and that I purpose it above all else that I might have the proper attitude towards God. Not only towards God and His Word, but towards each other. Sometimes the problem is we don't have proper attitudes towards our own fellow Christians. And that's why we don't grow maybe as a group. Because the environment's not right. The, the uh, attitudes we have towards each other are wrong. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, All right, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. How do I treat my brothers and sisters? How do I react towards them? Do I try to elevate my opinion above theirs? Do I try to overlook them because I don't get along with them and so I don't spend time with the people of the congregation I'm a part of? 
How do I react? How do I treat my brothers and sisters? A man once told me that some of the most hateful people are in the Lord's church. You know what the sad reality is? That's true. It's sad. It's sad when you've experienced that. We have to be careful how we treat each other. I've made comment before in some of the places where I've preached. There was a rough time I went through in college. And if it hadn't been for the congregation I was a part of, I probably would have left the church. And I know I would not be preaching today. I know that's just a given. And some of the brethren I encountered after moving on from that congregation were just downright hateful. And if it hadn't been for those brethren, I don't know where I'd be today. I don't. We've got to have the proper attitude. We've got to have a proper attitude of love for one another and of care for one another and of concern for one another. Not overlooking sin, but growing together in love. going with this, our attitude also has to be proper towards ourselves. Sometimes we treat ourselves in a bad way. We don't think enough of ourselves and we don't let ourselves understand the reality of what everything should be. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. When people tell us that we're doing wrong, and it comes from a wise counsel, how do we react? It's not that we're just reacting to that person who said it. We're reacting in and of ourselves. Do I accept what others have said, or do I reject it? Do I regard myself high enough to realize that I need assistance and that I need to be right with God? How do I treat myself? How do I look at myself? Our attitude has to be proper towards God and His Word, towards each other and ourselves. And if that soil is not properly laid, if it's not leveled out, growth's not going to occur. Here's the beauty of it. In planning, if you have the wrong soil, you know what you got to do? you got to take it out and go get the right one. The beauty of it for us is if we realize that our heart or our attitude is not right, we can change it. We can work on it to change it. Each plant has to properly go, grow in its own soil. It has to be mixed properly, and we have to determine how to change it in order to be right, and in order to grow. So you've got not enough sunlight, you've got the wrong soil, so you've got kept away from the true light or the Word of God, you've got our attitude. What about dehydration? What happens if you don't water your plants? Go away for a couple weeks and don't water your plants. What's going to happen? And it doesn't rain. It's not going to be good for your plants. They're going to be wilting it's unable to make the nutrients it needs. It's unable really to sustain itself. And so what happens then? 
plant dies. Can we compare this to a lack of joy? As Christians, we're to be a joyful people. We are to be joyous in many ways. There's great joy this morning because one has obeyed the gospel yesterday. That's great joy. But we've got to be joyous in many things. We've got to be a joyful people. And if I'm not joyful, then here's the reality. I'm not growing because I can't make the nutrients. And if I'm not joyful, then I can't sustain myself because without joy, then I get to the point of, why bother? If I'm not joyful, I get to the point of, why do I even bother? What does it even matter anymore? Psalm 35 and verse 9 says, And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord, it shall exult in His salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Alright, you think about that from a worldly standpoint. I'm going to tell you, you're sorrowful, you're poor, and you have nothing. How would we look on that from a worldly standpoint? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. But yet, you rejoice, you're made rich through God, you possess everything through God. You see, one side's talking about how we act, how things may be in the physical side, the other's talking about how things are in the spiritual. I may be sorrowful on earth, may be sorrowful because of the way things are going in this earth. And if you take time to watch any news media, boy, it's sorrowful. Boy, it makes you just so sad of the world we're living in. But yet I can rejoice in God. I can be rich in God. I can possess everything in God if I'm faithful to Him. James chapter 1 and verse 2, James writes, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How in the world do I be joyful if I'm going through trials? That just doesn't make sense, James. I'm joyful because by going through that trial, my faith is tested and it comes out stronger and I serve God more efficiently if I will act in the right way. When situations happen on us, what do we generally try to do? We generally try to look at it from a standpoint of how horrible this is. I told one person one time, a good friend of mine, she was talking about her work, and she was just saying, isn't every day a bad day? That, those were her words. Isn't every day a bad day at work? Notice I said, only if you get out of bed in the morning and already perceive it to be. If you already perceive it's a bad day before you ever get started, guess what? It's a bad day. What you have to do is you have to look for the good. And you have to look for what you can be happy in. And if you can find no happiness anywhere on this earth, you can find happiness in God. And you can be happy in God. Because serving Him has a great result. That's a home in heaven. So no matter what happens on this earth, we've got to remember that. Without water... A plant doesn't have the nutrients to live. And I want to suggest without joy, our nutrition would be gone. What gives us the ability to sustain ourselves would be gone. In Psalm 51 and verse 12, the psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. The idea of these items going hand in hand. 
I want to give you an example. And I kept this in the PowerPoint, but it doesn't pertain to me anymore because I had to give up all caffeine, including chocolate. But it, most people it would make sense for, so we're going to go ahead and leave it. The little joy we experience here is like eating one piece of chocolate. Tastes good, right? It's a rich, and it satisfies you for just a little while, but you know what happens? After a while, you want some more chocolate. You're wanting some more chocolate. You're wanting just a little bit more of that happiness or that joy. That's how the joy as a Christian ought to be. The little joy we have here, the little joy we have with our brethren, the little joy we have in serving God, sustains us for a little while, and then we recognize it again, and it sustains us for a little while, and it keeps us content until we can be in eternity with God. Until we can be in joy forevermore with God. Joy is a sustaining force. Not enough sunlight, the wrong soil, dehydration. But you know the opposite of that? You can maybe not water your plants enough. Sometimes you can overwater them, and they can become too saturated. This is what that looks like. It's kind of muggy at the bottom. You may not can see that, but the fields are just completely swamped with water to where the ground's not able to absorb it because there's been so much water. And the plants just become so badly affected by it. They look fine at first, but then they lose their root because the ground becomes so soft they move. The leaves are dying, and the plant slowly just drowns. Let's call this unrealistic expectations. Because they do a similar faction. I think of a young man who I worshipped with where I grew up. And we were able to convert him. His grandparents were members of the church where we worshipped, but his parents weren't. We were able to convert him. And I remember he was just like everybody when they first become a Christian. I'm going to go out and convert the world. And he was working at a very... Not an immoral place. He was working at a factory, but he was surrounded by a lot of immoral people. He was dead said he was going to go out and convert every single one of them. And that's a great, great idea. But we all know, realistically, that doesn't happen. And after so many no's, and after so many no's, he just started getting so discouraged. He looked fine at first. But then he lost his root. He lost his grounding. And he started missing here or there, and he started not doing things he should, and he started doing things that he shouldn't do. And then finally he fell away. Sometimes we don't grow because we set unrealistic expectations. Think about the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. We're going to go over there. We're not going to read the whole passage. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, we find this young ruler coming in. I've chosen the Gospel of Luke because Luke records something special that Matthew doesn't in this story. When he finds out the commandments, he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus said this, one thing you still lack, so all you possess and distribute it to the poor, that you have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. In the passage, it's described as Jesus felt love for him. Mark records that also. 
that Jesus had love for him because of who this rich young ruler was. How he acted. He kept all these commandments, but one thing he lacked. In my mind, that's an unrealistic expectation. Here, I've kept every single thing. You go and you sell. He had some unrealistic expectations on what it meant to be faithful. Because he goes away sorrowful. He was expecting to be called faithful by God. Faithful by Christ. And he goes away sorrowful. Think about Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2, And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for a letter from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. You remember this? Well, when you go on and Saul's converted, you know where he wants to go work? He wants to go work in Jerusalem. God says, no. You go over here. He had some unrealistic expectations. Now Saul, being Paul, ended up becoming a very faithful man. But you look at Saul in Acts chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, I think he's got some unrealistic expectations here too. He's expecting that he can just go and he can grab anybody down the road and bring them down to Jerusalem. Well, you know what happens on his way. You know the story of his conversion. There's some unrealistic expectations there in how he was before he became a Christian. Let me ask you a question. Does your zeal grow cold? Does our zeal at times grow cold? Maybe it's that we've been studying with an individual for months and we just can't understand why they won't come to the truth and why they won't obey the truth. And we get so discouraged. Or maybe it's that we had so many studies or we had a couple studies going and now we can't get any studies. We can't get anyone to study with us. Maybe it's that I've never been able to get someone to study with me. And so my zeal just grows colder and colder each day. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Now these things are written to them for an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages came. Therefore let him who takes heed, take, stands take heed lest he does not fall. Talking about Israel. Did Israel's zeal go cold? I think so. I think Israel at times was very faithful and tried to be faithful. But you know what happened time and time and time again? They fell away. They did wrong. You look at the kings, and the kings, some of the kings would be good, and they'd do good for a while. I think about Josiah in particular. And then after Josiah, did Israel stay good? No. Folks, it's happened time and time before. People have gone through hard times before. We can't expect just everything to go perfect. We set ourselves up for failure that way. Think about Peter in denying Jesus. Remember that? Lord, I'll never forsake you. Lord, I'll never leave you. He denied Him three times that night. But also, He was with the disciples that all forsook Jesus and fled. Peter set some unrealistic expectations. What about the apostles in doubting that Jesus was raised? Think about Thomas. He's been with Christ. He knows Christ's power, and Christ has foretold how he's going to raise. And what does Thomas say? Unless 
I see the hands. He doubted. Here's one who was faithful and served alongside Christ and walked with Him. Folks, we can't convert the world. We cannot become the best Bible student. We can't, because we are always to be learning. We're always striving to learn more about God. We're always striving to serve more each and every day. We grow every day up until the point we die. We don't go to a certain point and just say, all right, I've grown, I'm done, I'm good. No, we continually grow. So what we can do is we can try to convert those we see. You know, sometimes we set out we're going to convert the world. I don't know anybody in the country of Lithuania. And I'm hoping that my... You may. Maybe. No. Okay. I'm hoping nobody else here does. So I can use this example. I don't even know what language is spoken there. Can I go and convert those people? I might could convert some, but it'd be pretty hard. But you know what? I can stay in my backyard. I can work in my backyard. I can work where I'm from. But our reality is I can't go out and convert the world. And the reality is, as hard as I try to study, as hard as I study and study and study, I'm never going to have every single answer. I'm never going to have every single answer. But what I can do is continually study to be more pleasing to God and continue to grow to be more pleasing. And so when we set goals, sometimes we set goals on how we're going to be and what we can do. Let me make some suggestions to you. You want to be a better Bible student? Don't say you're going to read the whole Bible this month. Don't set something unrealistic. If you've not been used to studying, don't set that as a goal because you'll set yourself up for failure. And don't say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to convert the next person I see. Maybe say, I'm going to go out and talk to the next person I see. Make goals to where you're not trying to set yourself up for failure. What happens with unrealistic expectations is discouragement. And it burns out because you're going full throttle and won't stop. And in a lot of cases, the flame eventually goes out. We've got to be careful. Also, let's add bad weather. I almost thought I might see this this morning. I had to go back and check the calendar and make sure it was still fall. It was 32 degrees when I left my apartment this morning. Bad weather can be a deterrent. Depending on what you plant, if you have a big frost coming in, you've got to cover it to keep it from dying out. You've got to take some precautions with your with your plants. Because what will happen is it will stunt the growth. It will destroy the plant, just outright destroy it. Sometimes it will speed up the cycle. You know, if it's too hot, too early, plants will start producing before they're supposed to. That's the environment we surround ourselves with. We have to be careful of the environment we're found in. In Job 31 and verse 1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? This is a verse that's used by a company called Covenant Eyes. Some of you may be familiar with. That is a software you can use to 
keep from viewing pornography and to keep you honest if you're having trouble with that. When we put ourselves in an environment like today's world, pornography is not simply just going out on a website and finding it anymore. Pornography is all around. It's on TV shows. It's in books. Magazines. It's everywhere. Billboards. We have to be careful of the environment we surround ourselves with. We have to be careful in how we purpose our own heart. How we purpose to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, I won't take the time to read that over there, but over there it talks about all who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. You've been washed and you've been cleansed. Now what happens if, say, I'm a murderer and I'm washed and I'm cleansed, but then I continue to surround myself in that environment? And I continue to be tempted in that environment. Am I doing myself any good? Am I growing? I have to keep myself pulled out. Keep my environment around me clean and pure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things come. You have to put away anything from the past and focus solely on serving God now. So the question is, what do I surround myself with? What's the media that I surround myself with? What, what shows do I watch? What books do I read? Am I doing things that would bring honor and glory to God? Or am I doing things that are stunning my growth? What do I surround myself with? I'm not talking just about people. I'm talking about the the activities we involve ourselves in. Am I involving myself in community activities that will bring glory to God or bring me further away from Him? How do I surround myself? Remember, I'm to present myself wholly before God. I'm to present myself before Him wholly because He says in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 45, and Peter will quote it, Be holy, for I am holy. Whatever tempts me needs to be so far from me. A preacher named Jared Jacobs has this statement, and it's probably not his own, but he's probably heard it before. But he says sometimes we as Christians, we want to get so close to right at the line, Can I get so close to what tempts me and not fall over? When the reality is, if right here is the line, I need to be all the way over there. Whatever tempts me, I don't need to be close to it. Whatever tempts me, I need to put it so far away from me. Another preacher that I've had a lot of conversations with, Steve Walker, that preaches up in Kingston Springs, he talks about his time in advising at Florida College. And how when kids would come to him with a problem, say pornography as an example, he would tell them, all right, go throw your phone in the river. Go throw your phone in the river. You need one, you'll go buy another one. But start by throwing the one that's ta- that you're using to do this. Just throw it in the river. Can you bring yourself to do that? Can you bring yourself to make whatever sacrifice it is to keep yourself away from sin? Whatever is my temptation, ladies and gentlemen, needs to be so far away from me. 
lest I fall. Whatever I'm engaged in, though, needs to bring glory and honor to God. What about weeds? Do weeds help your plants? That was the problem that I always had with growing plants, was we wouldn't go out and take care of the weeds as they came up, and when the weeds would grow up, Dad would just weed box the whole thing instead of pulling them out. You've got to take time to make sure you're pulling out those weeds so that your plants will be able to grow, so that the weeds don't take the nutrients in the soil and be able to block the plant from growing. They'll choke out the life. They'll become entangled with the good seed. So that's our company. So we have our environment, what we surround ourselves with, but now we have the people we spend time with as well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Think about Job's companions. What did they tell him to do? Curse God and die. His own wife told him that. Who was he surrounding himself with? People that would help him in his situation or people that were causing him harm? Our closest relationship should be with God's people. On this earth, the people that we spend the most of our time with, that we engage ourselves with, that we're close to, ought to be the people of God. Because if we spend ourselves with those outside, we might damage our growth. Again, Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, as we talked about in the Bible class hour, Day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from home to home or house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The early Christians spent every day together. Can we strive to do the same? Can we strive to do that? In order to grow properly, there cannot be any competition. The weeds cannot try to pull at me and pull at my roots and take away what I need to be sustained. I have to be careful who I surround myself with. I want to tell you, there's a lot of good people in this world. There's a lot of good people in the world. But the reality is they're still in the world. And they're still not being obedient to God. Who do I surround myself with? Please, I'm not telling you you can't be friends with people that are outside the body of Christ. Because if you're not, how do you ever hope to convert them? But who are you spending the majority of your time with? Do I spend it with people who do not have the same convictions I have about the Bible? Who don't have the same commitment that I have to God and so they might lead me away? Or do I spend it with my brothers and sisters who can strengthen me and reinforce those guidelines that I've set to be a good Christian? Final point. Neglect. Gardener's worst nightmare is to go off and the person they asked to keep their garden taken care of didn't do a thing. Because there's been neglect. Look at that flower bed. That's horrible. All run over. Nothing's been done on it in a while. It takes a while to fix that. It's not just an overnight fix. And there's major damage that happens. Let me suggest to you what might be, of all these we talked about, and all these are damaging to our spiritual 
growth. But what, in my opinion, might be our biggest hindrance as Christians to our spiritual growth, and that's stagnation. Or what I call rutted religion. I've gotten myself into one rut, and I'm comfortable there. I've sat on the same pew for 25, 30 years, and I've done the same thing for 25, 30 years, and I'm content and happy to be just as I am. That's a problem. That's a problem to not want to grow and to not be willing to grow and willing to change. Revelation chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16, Christ writes to the church there, I know your deeds, this Laodicea, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's a church that's rutted religion. There's a church that's become so stale that it's nothing's happening. They're not cold, they're not hot. They're not active. Well, they're not sinning either in one way. They're not going out and bringing in all this mess. They're not cold. They're not so cold that they've just completely gone away from God. But they're not warm in which they're serving God. They're just there. You're lukewarm. You're not doing anything. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I think King James says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. There's a problem in getting stuck in our ways. Here's the reality. I talked this morning in the Bible study hour about Christ quoting twice, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What's happened with the Pharisees is they have elevated tradition to the same point of God. When we make religion tradition or we make tradition our religion, we do not grow. Brother Gwynn was joking with me before services about Lord's Supper's after the sermon. Don't you know that's the scriptural way? I know he's joking. But in West Tennessee, that's not how we do things. Now, in Middle Tennessee, apparently so. Because that's how rock is too. But in West Tennessee, it's before the sermon. We were joking about that being, you know, the scriptural way. Also, the scriptural hour is 9 o'clock, not 9.30. When we start getting to that point, though, where we'll argue over it, that's rutted religion. They tell me congregations have split over the color of the carpet. I pray they're exaggerating, but I'm afraid they're not. When we become so traditional that we make everything has to be this tradition. We have to do it this way because that's the way we've done it for 40, 50 years. Boy, are we in a mess. And when we ask the question, why aren't we growing? I think we found our answer. Because we become so bogged down with tradition that the Bible doesn't matter anymore. When it becomes repetitive, it does not lead to growth. When things, when we just go through the same, and I don't know how it is here, but in some congregations, depending on who the song leader is, if I've been there more than a year, I can tell you exactly which four songs they're going to sing. There may not be anything wrong with that, but let's say they lead four times that month, and it's the same four songs every time. You know what happens? I start singing the words without thinking about it, because I know exactly what word comes next. 
Folks, when it becomes repetitive, it loses meaning. When it becomes so that I can predict exactly what's going to happen, is it being the best worship it can be to God? And please, I'm not saying that every service you have a different order. Please, that's not what I'm saying. Things need to be in order. What I'm saying is when I say my prayer, do I say the exact same words every single time? When I lead songs, do I lead the exact same songs every time? Or do I tailor it that the group here might be edified, that the group here might grow, and that I myself might grow? Because I've got to be careful. That's the reality of it. Because when that damage is done, it takes a lot of time to pull ourselves out of that rut. When damage is done and we get so set in our ways, it takes a while to overcome it. We have to rely on each other that we might overcome it. Work together to grow. Work together to make changes that might be beneficial to us here in order that we might grow. Seven hindrances to spiritual growth. You don't put the flowers in the sunlight so they're kept away from God. You use the wrong soil, that attitude's not tended to. That soil's not ready for God. That's the reality of the attitude portion. Is when the attitude's not right, then it's not ready to receive the Word and grow. Lack of joy, being dehydrated or the adverse to that. Unrealistic expectations are being overly saturated. Bad weather, what do we surround ourselves with? And weeds, what's the company we keep? And then do we neglect? Or do we become so, stag- uh, become so stale or be in stagnation that we become so rutted we don't grow? These aren't the seven hindrances to spiritual growth, please. These are seven of my observations that I found through Scripture and looking at the idea of plants and how it correlates. And I think it's interesting that we have the parable of the sower. And it's not the only time that the Christian is, is likened to seed being sown or plants because it's a good analogy. It's an analogy we can still use today to understand what the Word of God means. If you're here this morning, you might be with bad in the, in the wrong soul category. Your attitude has not been right to accept the Word of God because you've never obeyed His will. You've never done what you need to to become a Christian. Again, you can change that soul. You can change your attitude to be open to the Word of God. And you can obey the gospel this very morning and become a child of His. You may be here and you may fall into that last category where you've become so stale that you're not serving God. If that's the case, I implore you to consider that this morning. You may be here and you may be keeping the wrong company. You may be involved in the wrong things. You may be kept away from God. You may be without joy. You may even have unrealistic expectations. Whatever is hindering your spiritual growth, I beg you to change it and to start the right way.
Again, it's not a change that happens overnight. A lot of times we become so set in our ways it takes a lot of time to get out of it. But we have to make the effort to do that. So if you're here and you need to render yourself obedient to God or you need to repent of some sin in your life or you need to make yourself right with God or you just want the prayers of the congregation here to help you, we'd be glad to help you this morning. If you'll come forward now as we stand and as we sing this song.
we know that all that we could not have joy if, had, if it had not been for the sacrifice that Christ made for the blood that he shed. We're so thankful for that sacrifice that he made. We're also saddened by the pain and the agony that he endured on our behalf because of our sin. Pray to Heavenly Father as we partake of this cup that will reflect upon that blood, upon that sacrifice of Christ, upon, upon the pain that he endured. Pray that we'll reflect upon it and that we'll also reflect upon our, ourselves and our service to you. Pray that we'll live an obedient life and pleasing to, that's pleasing to you. Show our love for you. Please be with us as we partake of this cup. In Jesus' name, amen.